0: Welcome to The Green Urbanist, the podcast for urbanists fighting climate change. I'm Ross. Today's episode is a conversation with Virginia Cinquimani. Virginia is the founder and director of Green Gorilla Consultants, a unique training and coaching company focusing exclusively on empowering sustainability professionals to become the most confident and assertive version of themselves. And to successfully accomplish their sustainability projects, even when their stakeholders think sustainability is a waste of time and money. Virginia is a qualified architect, project manager, and Briam AP with a lifelong passion for sustainability. She is the author of Sustainable, How to Find Success as a Sustainability Professional in a Rapidly Changing World. This is an excellent book and a practical guide for those who have a passion for sustainability, but can't seem to make an impact. In this episode, Virginia shares advice for anyone who's trying to integrate sustainability into their work and projects, but is coming up against barriers. So whether you're just starting out on your sustainability journey, or you're actually an experienced professional, this episode is relevant to you. Virginia explains how we can communicate better about sustainability and how we can actually sell sustainable solutions to clients by appealing to their needs and concerns this episode is all about the soft skills that we as professionals need every day uh, beyond just technical knowledge. She also gives advice for urbanists who don't necessarily have a sustainability background, but who want to bring it into their work. The key message here is just get started. No matter how small or imperfect your first steps are, just get started because we need everyone working towards this and learning. You can buy Virginia's book, Sustainable, on Amazon, follow her on LinkedIn, and check out thegreengorilla.co.uk. You can also follow this podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and links for everything are in the podcast description. So please enjoy my conversation with Virginia Cinquemani. Hello, Virginia. Welcome to the Green Urbanist Podcast.
1: Hello, Ross. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, just to begin with, it would be great if you could tell us a bit about who you are uh, and what you do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm Virginia Cinquemani. I'm the director and founder of Green Gorilla Consultants Ltd., which is a training and coaching company focused on sustainability professionals. And the fancy strap line is that we empower sustainability professionals to make an impact. Because we do training, we do coaching, we help sustainability professionals to become Uh, better communicators, better negotiators, better salespeople. Why not? Uh, Sellers of sustainability, of course.
0: Great. Well, we're going to talk, I think, a little bit more about sales (laughs) later on, (laughs) because that's a really interesting topic. Um, Okay. So so one of the reasons I wanted to have you on uh, the podcast is I think we, maybe my listeners are probably maybe in two groups. So you've got the people like me who are uh, urbanists you know planners urban designers architects who are not necessarily specifically trained in sustainability but who want to be making a positive difference through their work mm-hmm. um, and then you probably have another group of people which are the trained sustainability professionals and so we both have sort of different uh different uh, challenges i suppose <laughs> so if we take that first group You know, what advice could you give to someone who is an architect or a planner? They're working in the industry and they realize they want to be, you know, making a, a, you know, doing sustainable work and and making a a difference. But they're just they're having trouble just making that that jump.
1: Absolutely. Um, I should say I was one of them. Because yes. my previous career, my previous life, it feels like I was an architect um, and I spent you know, a few years working as an architect, um, but then I moved on in time towards more the coaching element and the training and the sort of skill stuff. So I know exactly how it feels to actually mm. have that passion, but not necessarily having the um, maybe the knowledge yet. Of course, I trained in the meantime, uh, but the first thing that I would want to say to these people is that actually sustainability is a way of thinking. Um, mm. I love the definition that one of my tutors back in the days at university said uh, is actually a matter of common sense. Sustainability is mm. common sense. It should not be a separate add-on to the normal way of working. Um, so it's a way that you think, okay, how can I reduce the impact? Um, you know, what are my materials doing to the to the planet? Um, where where am I procuring my um, you know the the, uh, the elements of uh, of my project from? Uh, are they produced in areas where the working conditions are not great? So it's purely really thinking what is the best possible way I can use those materials? I could use. Um, the, the the you know the normal elements of my work and in a way that have a lower impact on the environment and on people as well because we know sustainability right. is not just about environment right. but I would say if you really want to start from somewhere. And this seems too overwhelming. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) There is also a lot of low-hanging fruit, I would say. You know, the no-brainers, the easy-to-implement, the low-cost options. Uh, But it it does take a little bit of self-analysis, I would say, as a professional to think, okay, what is the impact of what I'm doing? Because we, we go automatically sometimes, especially in construction, I know because again, I spend many years there. Um, we we work a little bit always in the same way until something innovative comes along, of course, and disrupts. But usually, we are is a very conservative industry. Yes. Um,
0: yeah.
1: So I'd say the first step, which has I think, uh, well, that's another first step. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing that I've seen done more and more now because the technology allows that to do it quickly is actually LCA, so Life Cycle of Assessments, so that okay. you f- really understand um, you know, the, the cost of materials, but also where they come from, how long they're gonna last for, um, so that you don't have to uh, manage them all the time or change them regularly. So I'm talking, for example, to the architects out there. LCA is a beautiful tool that really helps to assess in the first place, so you can measure before you can change, of course. Right. And then, yeah, be innovative and think outside the box. I think that's another suggestion I would have. Work with others that might have done it before. Um, Think about how it can be done in a better, more innovative way. Perhaps, you know, there's plenty of information out there and, you know, willing people to help, I suppose.
0: That's a a really good point, is, you know, this uh, point that you have to understand the problem first before you can actually take action. So, absolutely.
1: I think it's really the first thing would be uh, the main thing would be asking the question, okay, mm.
0: what,
1: you know, where my materials come from? How is the building built? I mean, a building, but even a city, because if you're talking to urbanists, <laughs> where do the, the materials come from um, yeah. originally? What is the, you know, and, and that is a simple question which sometimes even professionals don't have the answer to.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, do, do you think it's necessary for people to go out and get, um, you know, more formal education in sustainability and get a- accreditations and that kind of thing? Or can you learn a lot on the job as well?
1: Uh, I'd say, I think back in the days, having another degree and another badge like, you know, Boy Scouts <laughs> was was important. <laughs> I think it's still important because there is a lot of competition on, in, in the you know, out there. But at the same time, we're so lucky to be in the information age. Everything is at your fingertip. And, um, you know, LinkedIn is a place that I absolutely love, where I'm learning so much every day. I think right. it's a bit of both. If you're completely, completely clueless, then, of course, doing some uh, formal course can give you the basics, but there is so much that can be learned on the job. Um, yeah. And really from other people. Especially now with all this online stuff, lots and lots of really interesting webinars and courses, even free courses. So there is definitely uh, an advantage in living nowadays in that sense.
0: Yeah, I I think with uh, the pandemic as well, I've seen a lot more webinars, you know, uh, events that would happen in an event space, you know, with maybe 50 people now (laughs) are webinars with 500 people, which is great.
1: And all around the world as well. So you can access stuff in America as well as in Australia, yeah. depending on time zones, but so much more choice.
0: Yeah. And, and I'm a big believer in, you know, you you don't have to get permission from anyone to learn. Uh, you know, it, it's obviously <laughs> yeah. going going to a university, you get the, the formal structure of a curriculum and you get access to the library and the professors and everything. But if that just seems like it's not realistic for you, if it's too expensive or or you don't have the time. I mean, you can you can read all the books that are on the, the university course, <laughs> you know, much cheaper than getting a Absolutely. degree.
1: <laughs> also, I mean, the, I think the difference is that university gives you the structure, like you said, and possibly the commitment to do it.
0: Yes. If, yeah. if
1: you're still committed to learn and to grow in whatever, you know, in sustainability, as is in any... Or the profession, then I'm sure you will find the time and the books, so like you said, the people to speak mm. to, um, and without the formal institution around you. And um, yeah, there's plenty out there that you can learn yeah. from.
0: So, what about a situation where, you know, you might be trying to be a bit of a climate uh, champion within your organization, within your team? Um, it it's It's one thing for an individual to change their mindset. it's another thing to try and turn the course of a whole a whole company or a whole team what what are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, look even in the sector in the sustainability sector, there are plenty of people they feel they don't make enough of an impact or and mm. that's why to be honest, I've started green gorilla because I could see people struggling sustainability mm. professionals really having a hard time thinking this is so obvious for me. How come it's not obvious from my clients or from, you know, right. or my colleagues even? Um, so I think there are techniques that they can be used and everything. But the main aspect I would say that people should focus on is forget your technical knowledge. Forget what you know and focus on your clients. Focus on your colleagues. What, are, what is the issue? What is the need that they have? Start from there if you focus 100% of, on them and addressing mm. their issues using the sustainability solutions so that you uh, that you have then the thing is completely different because it's not oh, going to yeah. be trying to fit a square peg in a round hole it will be actually finding a bespoke solution for a specific process and project and problem mm. or the <laughs> P <point>. um, <laughs> and showing them the benefits which again are going to be tailored the issues because we find more and more that professionals with you know some knowledge of sustainability or any technical knowledge go ahead you know using that as a badge of honor which is great of course you studied of course you know yourself but clients don't care clients want mm. a solution they don't care how many courses you've done how many badges of recognitions you have the important thing is that you can help them so that's why the selling comes in into place. And that's why I'm so adamant about that. And it's not necessarily, um, actually, it's not at all pushing something that people don't want. We have this idea right. of the old salesperson, uh, you know, who's conning other people and trying to trick <sighs> them into buying something that is useless or broken or they don't want. No, here we are trying to sell sustainability as a solution for major problems that we face in construction, in infrastructure, in whatever we are, uh, you know, we're dealing with. Sustainability has a way of being, you know, a no-brainer. So it is Mm. a solid, um, um, long-term, low-risk solution for most problems. So we are actually using sustainability as a way of helping our clients. We are helping them. We're not conning them in any way. And that's why I really invite people that work in sustainability to come out of their te- technical shell, almost, and think: actually, I'm here to help. I am a salesperson in the best possible way. I'm here to help my client to address their problems. This is how I'm hmm. doing it.
0: Yeah, I've, I've I've had someone, a previous guest on the podcast, tell me that you know the the solutions to to climate change they need to be solutions to uh, other problems, and then they just happen to be more sustainable. So we were talking uh, in that context. We were talking about public transport, and he was saying, you know, to get more people using public transport, it isn't that you have to make it more sustainable. It's that you have to uh, solve their problems, and then, by the way, it's more sustainable as well. Um, so you know, Absolutely. dealing, with, yeah, dealing with clients can be a similar thing, like you know we can we can make so many improvements and and improve the bottom line and and do all these great things and by the way it's also more sustainable
1: <laughs> it's that's what i was saying before is is the common sense solution sustainability and i i think it's um there is a misconception. Sustainability is a word that has been misused a lot, and we talk about okay. greenwashing in that sense, oh, which, yeah. again, is a bit of a jargon word, but um, it's when everything is painted green, everything looks <laughs> sustainable, but in <sighs> the end, when you look at the details, maybe it's not. And so it has a, bit, not a bad rep also of something that only tree huggers do when people mm. you know, the uh, maybe they had a place in the 70s but not nowadays <laughs> I think I think the world has moved on so you can you are allowed not to use the word sustainable or sustainability just think of the solution Christ. think of the best common sense solution for any problem and do you know what it's going to be sustainable, I bet so um, mm. So there is no. I, I completely echo what your previous um, um, guests said. Um, it's it is just a term that is there to say, look, we need to live within the boundaries that we have, the physical boundaries. We can't create a new planet. We're already using mm. 1.7 planets at the moment. It just makes sense to try and reuse what we got. To try, like we used to do back in the days, you know, when, when yeah. we used not to be such a disruptive species on this planet, we use repair, um, uh, try and come up with innovative solutions. Maybe not do anything at all. Sometimes is the best solution, is the best right. sustainable solution. Um, <sighs> the, yeah, the, the thing is that you don't have to use the word. You can you can just show them
0: yeah.
1: a solution. Um,
0: that's a great. That's a great point. It's really good. Uh, we we actually haven't even mentioned your book uh, oh, so yeah. far. <laughs> so you have an an excellent book called Sustainable. Yes,
1: yes. Thank um, you. I forgot to mention it, Gina.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll plug it for you because <laughs> I'm you. I'm I'm reading it at the moment and I'm really really enjoying it. I'm getting a lot of benefit right. from it, so I definitely recommend to people to check that out. And I'll put a link in the description of the podcast as well, so people can go and grab that. And you devote a whole chapter in there to uh, selling uh, or sales techniques for technical people for sustainability professionals. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier about having to sell to clients. Now, most people, I think, when they hear the term sales, they just want to run away because it's like, <laughs>
1: yes. oh, I
0: didn't didn't get into sustainability to sell things. Like it's the opposite of that. I want to be, you know, <laughs> you know, I want to be doing the right thing. So, what what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, again, I I completely understand that because probably I was there at one point in the past and I've seen Mm. lots of people. And we want to, you know, we want to advise our clients. That's what we want to do. But a salesperson does exactly that. Now, again, going back to the idea of the salesperson back in the 80s with a little you know, suitcase with (laughs) these examples in there, we're not there anymore. The world has the internet, hello, and people can actually look things up for themselves. So you're not the only one as a salesperson to have that knowledge in your pocket. And that's what all the salespeople used to do, use their unique knowledge to con. Other, well, not everyone, of course, but you know, some bad salespeople used to use that advantage they have over their clients to push solutions that weren't right or that were, you know, pure tricks, right? Um, but nowadays, if we just shift our mindset, mindset towards, I am there to help my clients sort them, you know, their problems. I am there to curate the information that is out there and is abundant. And if our clients start googling, How do I make a bridge? I mean, honestly, obviously, they're not going to get anywhere. But you are there to advise them. And that's what a salesperson does, advise on the best possible way, the roadmap. That they have to, you know, the clients have to follow to have the possible, the, the best possible solutions and and outcomes. Um, you can, you're there to show them the advantages, the benefits. So the growth, so in three, you know, three main categories probably in sustainability with lots and lots in them, the growth, the return on investment, and the risk management, which I think are the three main Two. ways sustainability can help. So you literally are there. But also, if you think about it, we sell every day, all day, all day long. We negotiate our way through life. And I always, and it's also in the book, uh, when I ask my children, who are quite little, to eat just one more scoop of greens, you know, just (sighs) one more. And I use techniques like, okay, do it for mommy. You know, i go to the emotional, (laughs) you know, emotional level. Or if you don't do it, you're not going to watch TV afterwards. You're not going to have pudding. And that's the threat and the fear element. And these are all perfectly legitimate sales techniques that people (laughs) use in different ways at different levels, but we do it every day, we don't even realize. We might not exchange money in that sense, but selling as the way of influencing others is something we do every day anyway. So we might as well get friendly with that term and think, okay, sustainability is my product, my technical knowledge is my product. How can I use it in an ethical way, of course, ethically, mm. to support my clients to find a solution to their problems? That's all. That's all you need yeah. to do.
0: Yeah. Okay. There's, there's, there's a great quote in the book where you say, the most effective salesperson is a curator of the abundant information available out there. Yeah. So is this idea, as you said, that you know the the information is available. It's not that you know you're the sole proprietor of of sustainability information. It is you know that largely public so. knowledge. It is out there if people want to go looking. but the difference is that you're gonna package that up in a in a narrative and in a in a way that you know is convincing to people and is attractive to people so it's a lot of it is just it's just good communication exactly. skills isn't it?
1: Absolutely, it's all connected, as you know, because you read in the book, there is a whole chapter about communication and good communication, because mm. again, technical people, we fall into the trap of showing off, and showing <laughs> off our technical <laughs> knowledge, using jargon, because it's impressive, because they, yeah. you know, other people know that we know, <laughs> but <laughs> actually, if you think about the best communicators in the world, the, the big leaders, you will see that they do not use jargon. Yeah. They are talking to the masses, they are there to carry a message, and that's what we need to do, guys. If we are carrying the sustainability message, we need to use plain language. Uh, and I know it's difficult to step back sometimes because we use, you know, circular economy every day, or um, embodied carbon, and that sort of, you know, phrases We mm. terms that for us are second nature. But think about your client. They might be a business person, not necessarily a technical person. They might know, but chances are they don't. And hmm. then they might feel shy or, you know, they don't want to look like fools. And so they don't yeah. actually ask you, sorry, what do you mean by that? Because it seems you use yeah. it so casually that they, they should know. And hmm. then you get into this, you know, miscommunication or, or things that seem quite um, alien to them. And the human reaction to change is to perceive it as a threat. That's the normal human mm. reaction to, to change. So when you introduce something new, you have to expect resistance. So how do you avoid that? By establishing a rapport re- with the person you got in front of you, avoiding jargon, trying to look and think in the way they do. So maybe not look like them, but <laughs> definitely mm. think about the way they speak, they think, what language do they use? What are uh, what are they looking for? What's in it for them? That's the main question. What's in it for them? Uh, do they want to make money out of the project? Fantastic. Use sustainability, <laughs> so they, yeah, so, so they can make money. That's fine. Or are they looking to enhance their reputation because sustainability is something that right. everyone is doing now? You know, partly for that reason, absolutely. Use that as a way of announcing the reputation. You don't have to use big words. You don't have to, you know, as you said before, just do it. And then, by the way, this was a sustainable solution.
0: <laughs> yeah. Also, a, a thing I hate is acronyms. Within oh, the yeah. planning planning industry, we're just always talking in acronyms, which is very, like, exclusive. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I actually, had a great example as well is I, uh, a, a transport expert that I work with, sometimes, um, told me that he always tries not to use the phrases pedestrians and cyclists. He says people who walk and people who cycle, and that's just like a, a very minor shift because when you think when you say the word cyclist, many people in the UK anyway would think of like uh, a sporty guy in lycra on a road bike <laughs> yeah. like flying down the road and you think like most people really don't like those people because they're like <laughs> very flashy and they're like...
1: in the middle of the ride to stop in the traffic yeah.
0: exactly but when you say people who cycle that could be your grandmother or your kid you know cycling around the neighborhood so it totally changes so i love that and just being a bit more mindful it's something i still need to work on on the podcast is being a bit more mindful the specific words that you choose because it actually makes quite an impact
1: I give a, a nice exercise in workshops that I, that I do on communication and sustainability and is, could you, okay, pick, for example, whatever technical subject you work with the most, whether that is, again, I don't know, renewable energy, a circular economy, whatever it is, hmm. and try and explain it to a five-year-old.
0: Right.
1: How do you do that? And then you will see the blank faces <laughs> when they start thinking, maybe a five-year-old wouldn't understand circular economy. How am I gonna explain that to them? So I think it's a great exercise because surely you're gonna deal, you know, mostly with the grown-ups, <laughs> hopefully in your day-to-day job, but just step back, just you know, it makes you focus on the other person more than on you. And and that I think is a great exercise to uh really help them. Eventually this is what yeah. we want to do is really help them to address the issues and and the first thing is listening and speaking to them at the same level.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. You you mentioned uh three things earlier on in the conversation. I just want to come back to they were uh what was it growth, uh mm-hmm. resilience?
1: No, return return on investment, <laughs> and risk management. Resilience comes okay. into it in a way. Yeah, Yeah, it's the three main uh, advantages of sustainability, and then you can break it down as much as you like. Ah, okay. It's effectively return on investment, whether people decide to do projects in a more sustainable way, because they will sell quicker, say, for example, in the case of buildings. uh, it, It is demonstrated that you can rent them better, so with a higher premium. Uh, sell them quicker uh, because they mm. tend to be healthier, so people want them. There is more demand, yeah. etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the, the demand is in, is, in, uh, is growing. So there is return investment. Um, there is risk management, which is a big one for sustainability, um, especially now that we can see the effects of climate change or the yeah. climate crisis on uh, places where our supply chains are mostly uh so in india for example in other countries there where you can see how climate change is impacting the work of people Mm. and therefore insurances now have have started to demand you know a more sustainable outlook and um, and lenders don't lend money unless there is a a, um, a plan for things to be sustainable because mm. they now realize that actually long term, uh only sustainable assets will last and uh, will yeah. be resilient, that's where resilience coming, will be resilient to the changes in climate. Um mm. so for these sort of uh, big institutions, they already opened their eyes to the reality of things. So, so but also sustainability, you know, the smaller, if we don't want to go at that higher level, but it's it's a protection for reputation of companies, you know, mm. because when you have a sustainable project, you tend to do more due diligence, you tend to plan long term, you tend to look at the life cycle assessment. So how long things are gonna last and how you know the quality of things. So um and the companies involved tend to do less mistakes, less rework. So it does help the um, you know, the companies involved to have a better uh, better reputation in the market. Yeah. And finally, there is growth. So growth that can be perceived as marketing, for example, or even, you know, companies that adopt a sustainability um, uh, policy, for example, tend to attract the best employees, uh, universities that have a sustainability um, policy tend to attract the best students and so on and so forth. Right. So there is a growth element and an innovation element in there as well.
0: Yeah, that's really, really good. I am I'm I feel like I need to just write all this down, but I'll listen back. Oh no, it's in the
1: book. <laughs> you just need to read on.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. It's in the next chapter. I haven't gotten Yes,
1: yet. it's towards the end of the <laughs> selling chapter, if you want to know.
0: <laughs> that's great. <laughs> oh, that's really, that's really, really insightful. I think it's like inviting people just to think a bit more like a business person. Mm-hmm. um, And think about, you know, what, okay, people who are running businesses, they have to think, they obviously have to think about these things, you know, uh, that's how you keep a business afloat. That's how you keep it growing. Uh, and so if you can just tap into these really basic things that are probably quite obvious for uh, a business person, but maybe... Maybe not so obvious for not to <laughs> a everyone. hugger like I <laughs>
1: think lots of people are firefighting every day and we know it because we work in, the, in this world anyway. And so you might not have the time or the headspace to plan long-term. But mm, if you do, true. if you think about the future of whatever work you're doing, then sustainability is literally the no-brainer is the obvious yes. way of doing things.
0: It's incredible when you think like, uh, well, you know the term, the word "sustainable" means something that can go on, you know, into the yeah. future. Like it's incredible to think that anyone would not want their business to go on into the future. Like
1: <laughs> exactly, you know, one. Going back to the terminology, um, you can see how the shift has already happened in certain areas. So, so, for example, and again, this is an example that I got in the book. Uh, there was a big trade show here in the UK. For s- probably, you know, some of your listeners have, um, have have been there. EcoBuild. Build. Um,
0: mm.
1: It was the biggest show of sustainable or eco green um, building uh, in the UK. Now it's called Future Build because uh. <laughs> because eco or eco doesn't quite uh, resonate anymore. It's tired as a term. Yeah. So future building. Uh, being responsible. Um, all of this are actually synonyms of, of sustainability, but they probably go down better with clients. If you mm, say, you know, let's future-proof your building, that's much better than let's make it sustainable.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. You sound quite uh, optimistic, I would say, <laughs> <laughs> about the future. Do you think we're, we're moving in the right direction?
1: Hello. Okay, so I am an optimistic person by nature. Mm. Like, literally, this is me.
0: <laughs> but
1: it's a learned optimism, I would say. Right. And not that I've always been like this. Um, I am a firm believer in the intelligence of the human being. And, you know, one thing that, for example, really, really caught my attention recently was looking back in the 60s when the, the man went on the moon. Okay? Yeah. So um, it must have been a political move from Kennedy back in the days to actually say, within nine years, we're going to go on the moon. But you know what? They did. Yeah. I mean, if the man, with the limited resources they had at that time, limited technology, actually managed to go on the moon and come back, that's the most important bit, possibly, we can do anything. The world has jumped when COVID started hitting, you know, in the pandemic, and we all adapted super quickly but you know with you know all the uh, maybe yeah. it wasn't a perfect transition, but yeah. now we have a new normal. it is possible we are resilient as a species so we have the possibility to change and change quickly and one thing that i absolutely find uh, uh, inspiration uh, inspirational is um what cristiana figueres. Uh, who was basically the architect of the uh, latest agreement uh, on, um, on on climate change, she wrote a book and she said, um, I'm a stubborn optimist yeah. because there is no alternative. And it's true if you think about it. If we want to keep on living on this planet, either we start working towards it and we are stubborn optimists, or we just don't, in which case we cry in a corner for the rest of our lives, which sound quite sad. <laughs> so we just need to commit to it. Now, it might not be perfect and it won't be perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nothing is perfect. But we need to start thinking in terms of what is the new normal? Mm. and the, the new normal is not going around with a mask which i hope you know is going to stop at some point mm. but there can be a better new normal uh, uh, you know a new normal where we are actually working in in harmony with nature and i'm going to be a bit tree here but because uh, <laughs> simply we don't cause harm on the other side of the world and we just close our eyes because we don't see it without you know The the, the thing is, we need to ask ourselves certain questions, which might be hard to answer. But once we have the answer, it's difficult to go back. It's difficult not to think, okay, when I do, you know, when I work in a normal way, normal within uh, brackets, what is my impact? Um, Mm. Or how am I contributing if I want to be even positive? And there is another resource that, you know, people might be interested in watching is a movie called Twenty Forty. I don't know if you watched that.
0: Oh, um, I haven't seen it.
1: Yeah, it, which is quite nice, and it's it's more it's not scientific in any way. It's actually a guy trying to look at solutions that we got right now uh, mm. to help her da- his daughter, who is a little girl at this point, um, live in a better world in twenty forty. So that's why the movie is called Twenty Forty, and I love it because the guy doesn't know anything about sustainability but he goes around the world They're looking for <laughs> solutions that we can use right now and there's plenty of solutions
0: yes it's the yeah
1: commitment that is missing across the board but yeah. the solutions are there or at least the majority of them are there so that's why i'm optimistic because we're not you know waiting for the silver bullet we're not waiting for a perfect solution to come from technology Although, you know, there is a lot of talking about geoengineering and weird ways oh, of capturing carbon. Gosh, yeah. But actually, we've got plenty of solutions in the algae, in the soil, in, in ways of reducing our consumption and capturing carbon at the same time. They are already here now. Yeah. So we just need to put tarak together, that's all.
0: Yeah, that that's something that I've, I've realised from doing this podcast and, and talking to people is that, you know, all... Pretty much all the technical solutions that we need are are available to us. You know, we, we have the technology. Some people, like Elon Musk, are waiting for the big <laughs> carbon capture innovation, but yep. you know, that's that's another conversation. Uh, and there's you know, there's studies you can read, like the the Centre for Alternative Technology in Wales have a report yep. called Zero Carbon Britain, where they lay out very clearly how with existing technology the United Kingdom can reach carbon, you know, carbon neutral any time it wants, basically. Um, so it is that question of, well, why aren't we doing it then? Um, and that's, I, I guess, where these sort of soft skills and the interpersonal stuff comes into it, you know?
1: Yeah, uh, I think we, well, we, I mean, sustainability professionals, or so even people that have a passion or an interest for sustainability, mm. we have a big, big responsibility, guys, because we know that this is possible we know that there is a better way, we know there is common sense. Um, so we have the responsibility to let the rest of the world know and to put pressure. And you know, even if you know if a kid of sixteen at that time, um Greta Thunberg managed to move the world, and now most countries have at least a zero carbon uh, target, whether yeah. we will reach those or not, I don't know, but it definitely came from a little kid. Yeah. If she has the way of actually causing a stir and, and getting governments to listen, we they have the knowledge, you know, supposedly we have the technical hmm. knowledge and we know that this is possible. We have a huge responsibility to shout from the rooftops and And really use our soft skills, I would say, so maybe not shout from the tops. but (laughs) actually talk in a very, you know, in a nice way to people, engage with people, involve them, show them the benefits, um, create that rapport, don't come into a room for a meeting, well, good old days of uh, rooms and meetings, don't come into a Zoom call, (laughs) don't come into a Zoom call thinking I know it all you know they have to right. do what I say you, know, you have to start to shifting towards a more human relationship and I think when people start telling stories for example which is a big point of selling ethically is actually telling mm-hmm. stories showing you know how others have done the things that we want our clients to do um when we start using these techniques, we will see the shift because we will start to be trusted more. We will talk a language that others understand. And as a consequence, 9 out of 10, you will be able to sell those solutions yeah. uh, to your clients.
0: Yeah, this, just as you were talking, I was thinking that it's interesting how we've had such a, you know, Positive impact from the sort of civil disobedience of like extinction rebellion and the schools pro- uh, protests. As uh, obviously, is is that's like sort of shocking people and is sort of using the sort of negativity of blocking a street or or protesting yeah. to get people to take action. When you're a professional talking to clients, that like kind of thing, you can't really use that same tactic. You have to take a much different approach. Yeah. <laughs>
1: No, and you're right. And I I think I was talking about that with some clients the other day, there are two uh, school of thoughts, for sure. Uh, One is the shocking, negative doom and gloom, which tends to do exactly that so shock people and and he it has his place to be fair it's mm. like watching blue Park planet 2 and seeing how the fish is dying because of the plastic that we throw mm. into, into the sea you need a bit of shock to start yes. to action but then there is the biggest piece which is okay what do we do now and yeah. what is the plan here what are the options how do we create that better world that we we're all dreaming of Um, and that's what we can do as as professionals Uh, that's where the action comes where the you know the doom and gloom as i said you know has its place but uh, it it paralyzes you as well lots of people are suffering from eco anxiety because of that well i i'd rather think positively and think okay the solutions are here let's move on do them and and put them into place
0: Mm, yeah very well said we had a uh Uh, a chat before the podcast recording. And something you said to me, which is quite, um, I want to get into a bit more, is you said that around sustainability, the questions we ask are the most important thing um, because we Mm -hmm. can't, you know, we can't learn everything there is to know. Uh, And so, you know, you sort of have to start by asking the right questions.
1: Absolutely. Um, It sort of goes back to, um, you know, having a bespoke solution for every problem that you have is really, again, going back to our profession, uh, what questions will you ask your client to to understand exactly what the problem is? Mm. Sometimes a client think they they know what they want (laughs) or what they need, but they might not. Uh, Mm. So depending on the questions you ask, you will find out whether that's the case. You might spot opportunities that you wouldn't have uh, spotted otherwise. You might spot risks that you might not Mm. have seen otherwise. So asking open questions is usually the best possible starting point. Open questions, I mean, uh, what, who, why, how, mm. uh, not not simply something that they can answer yes or no to. Um, because by elaborating a bit more around the issue, so that's when you can spot an opportunity or, again, spot a risk that, again, you can address with sustainability. So ask better questions and listen That's the other thing. Mm. Listen attentively. We're all too distracted these days. And, you know, (laughs) I know I sound like a granny, but it's it's so (laughs) true. (laughs) Um, So, in a meeting, it's very, very important to focus. I know it might be boring sometimes, but it's very important to focus and and really get the, and capture what is not being said, I would say, you know, what's, what's hanging in the background, the man of this said. And that's why I miss face to face meetings because you could yeah. see the way people behave and move and, And that tells you a lot about the status of their mind. And and these are all important elements, even though you might be technical, these are all important elements to understand whether the client is on board or not, whether you need to explain better. They might not tell you, that they don't understand, but they might show with their body language. Um, So these are all important elements of communication that we might be missing at the moment.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. There's something about, you know, doing meetings over video especially with multiple people that Mm. is like so much more exhausting than being in a real meeting because you're sort of having to focus so much you don't get all the body language all the little visual cues and everything exactly well we'll see how much it becomes the 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 new normal after this um yeah yeah also I would I would like us as professionals to avoid the you know 100 slide death by powerpoint approach where you just <laughs> you go into a meeting with a client and you just shower them in uh, visuals and graphs and all the information and then by the end of it you know most people are asleep and <laughs>
1: Well, but that's, again, uh, that's us trying to show off our incredible knowledge and in our mm. powerful company, so whatever we come, you know, w- whatever idea we have about ourselves. And I'm not pointing a finger because I was one of them as well. So, <laughs> you know, uh, it's just that that's why I'm so so—I'm such an advocate of uh, storytelling, like we were saying before. Okay, Storytelling means literally try and tell a story, which is not once upon a time, but mm. is... Uh, okay, how others have addressed the same issue before, for example, mm. so a case study is the most overlooked thing ever, but it can mm. be actually the key to any presentation because you have there the opportunity to get your client to relate to the problem, to see the solution with the, with with them you know imaginary with the, with their imagination, and um, human beings think in, in, uh, in visuals and think in, uh, in yeah. stories, and they understand stories and relate better to stories. An example that I always give is when you watch a TED Talk, the beginning of every, possibly every TED Talk is a story, and yeah. they start, let me tell you a story. And then often what you remember is actually that story, not what yeah. happened afterwards, or what is the key message of the TED Talk. But that's what the problem <sighs> of stories is. So it's just, it takes just a little bit of thinking again. It's, it's just been a bit more intentional when you put together a presentation to incorporate uh, examples and stories, for, even from other industries, so they don't have mm. to be necessarily all sustainability-related, if they are relevant to the point. And then use yeah. as little words as possible use graphics, use um, data, uh, I would say like a pinch of salt, very, very little. Because, mm. again, data, for most people, you know, they don't make any sense. Or, yeah, you know, they, it's they hard just, to relate to. Exactly. So try and wave a story uh, wave a story into, into what you're saying and show them how others have done it. For example, that's the easiest, you know, mm. um, to, to get them to see it. Um
0: with, with their mind. That's a good point, yeah. And it doesn't have to be cheesy, you know. You oh
1: just... no, no, not at all. The classic case study, but just done in a way that can show the advantages of using a specific solution. Um yeah, that's you know, again, it's not dragon and princesses and that sort of thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, before I move on to the final question was there any other sort of topics or points you wanted to bring up while we're here?
1: I would say probably one thing that I said at the beginning when you uh, when, when we said you know if if I don't have any sustainability knowledge how can I start mm. I'd say just start um I wouldn't just to highlight that we you know the world needs you you know it's like in the war back in, in America the world needs you um <laughs> We need all the the people possible. As I said, we have a responsibility. Just start from somewhere. Just maybe, you know, follow people on LinkedIn that you admire. Listen to podcasts. Learn about it. Try and be curious about sustainability. See how you can incorporate it in every possible way, even if it's just small stuff at the beginning, you know, Hmm. maybe choosing your materials in a different way, thinking about the life cycle or whatever um but start just just start don't let you know time pass by because we you know as much as i am a stubborn optimist we really need to move on and and crack on and, and do it
0: That's a great point. And, you know, climate change, zero carbon, these are all challenges that we haven't solved yet and have never solved before. So in a way, everyone is learning, even the top experts.
1: Absolutely. And plus, the world is moving towards that direction anyway. Sooner or later, you will be obliged to know about (laughs) this. You will be forced. So you might as well go ahead of the curve if this is not something your company is doing at the moment or you are doing at the moment. And just, just start. Just start.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Future-proof yourself as a professional. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Future-proof yourself. Yeah. Have
0: to do it eventually. Um, so the final question that I ask all the, all the guests um, is, you know, we're at a pivotal moment in terms of climate change. As you said, we we're, we're, we're now only have really a few decades to make a really meaningful uh, change of course. And so from your perspective, what would you, what do you think needs to be done or what would you like to see happening over the next few years?
1: We definitely need a change in mindset. We definitely need Mm. people to be on board, even if it's not perfect. It's sort of echoing what we just said. Um, We can't wait for everything to be there, all the solutions to be lined up nicely for us. Mm. We just need to do it. We need to commit to it. It's like being vegan, for example. I'm vegan, um, but when I go to Italy, sometimes it's just hard to find vegan food that is not just vegetables. (laughs) like literally salad. Uh, so I do have now and then something that is not strictly vegan, uh, never meat, but you know maybe something you know, with cheese in it or something, just also not to offend my mom.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the point is, I'd rather be 99% vegan than not yeah. doing it at all. And that's Absolutely. me. But I think the world needs just more effort, more commitment. And again, guys, we did it with COVID. We we committed to a different way of living. We were forced to do it. Why do we have to reach the point of being forced to do, you know, sustainability, mm. which is probably what's going to happen. It's going to be imposed by law. is going to be imposed at different levels. So let's just embrace it as a beautiful, common-sense solution to our common problems. And um, and I would say, yeah, that's, that's the thing. We need to commit. We need to just start.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's only little steps or even if it's imperfect, just make a start and then absolutely. the next step becomes easier. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, Virginia, thank you so much. I've learned a lot from this and I think it's going to be really useful for listeners. Do you want to tell us how people can find you online?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am, uh, I, I love LinkedIn. Like I said before, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so you can find me there, Virginia Cinque Mani, and, um, Uh, Yeah, and also our website, thegringorilla.co.uk, where you can see what Green Gorilla does, our courses, our programs, um, yeah, and various bits and bobs. Lots of free material there, lots of videos, lots of uh, um, hopefully useful resources to grow in this space.
0: Excellent. Well, I'll put links to all that in the show description so people can find that quite easily. And um, yeah, thank you so much. This has been great.
1: Thank you for having me. It was fun. Thank you.